Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to hear everyone chatting. For those who don't know me, I'm Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Gas Street, and I'm the location pastor at Gas Street St. Luke's. One of the great privileges of my life, or the greatest privileges of my life, is that I've always been a Christian. There's not been a day in my life that I haven't known Jesus. But along the way, there's been questions and there's been insecurities that have arisen throughout my life. And probably one of the biggest questions that I've had throughout my teenager years is this question, God, do you really love me? And what I meant by that question was, God, do you really love me personally? And this is how the logic went in my mind. God's love and he's got to love me because he's God, so he loves me. And so it was kind of like this weird kind of matrix that I'd made up in my mind that God has to love me. And as a result of that, like that resulted in a load of insecurity and feeling really inadequate in lots of different ways. But at the age of 16 years old, I uh, wanted to put God to the test. And so um, at the time, I went to a Worship Central conference, which happened to be hosted by Tim Hughes. And, um, and at the time, I went to it because I wanted to learn a bit more about how to um, learn how to lead worship in my own context. But I also wanted to go there with this question to God, God, could you show me that you really love me? And so at the end of worship, um, when the band had come up, um, you know, there was the leader at the front, I took a moment to say, God, this was my prayer, God, I dislike myself. I feel low. I feel flat. I don't think I really deserve your love. But God, today, would you show me that you love me? And in that moment, it was a room full of about 3,000 people, And this man in the distance had kind of caught my eye and I could see this person sort of snaking his way through. And then he ended up right in front of me and he said, excuse me, I've got a prophetic word for you. And he said, could could I share it with you? And I said, sure, go, go ahead. And he said, I don't know if this is right, but this is what I think you were just praying to the Lord. God, I dislike myself. I'm low, I'm flat. I don't really deserve your love. God, would you show me if you love me? And I want to share this with you today because God's heard your prayer. He knows you and he loves you beyond your imagination. And obviously at that moment, my jaw hit the floor because that for me wasn't a coincidence at all. It was a God incidence because I knew for certain that God had heard my prayer. He downloaded this prayer real time to this random person who I'd never met before. And then that message was then relayed back to me. I knew in that moment that God knew me and he loved me. I knew from the depth of my heart, God knew me inside out. And it was transformative. And today in our next series on the Psalms, I'm going to be speaking on Psalm 139. And I've titled my talk, God Knows You. God Knows You. And so if you want to open up to Psalm 139, 
on your, on your phone or in your paper Bible. It's only going to come up on the screen once, so it'd be really useful if you had that in front of you so you can refer back to it throughout this talk. If you don't have one, no worries. Um, remember it when it's spoken out. But I'm going to read out all 24 verses, so buckle up and pay attention because there's a few verses, but we're going to canter through this fairly quickly. So you've searched me, Lord. This is verse one. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, Lord God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a beautiful psalm. A few years ago, um, well, it was 2009, so quite a few years ago, there was this film that came out called The Heist, which starred Morgan Freeman, Christopher Walkman, and William Macy. And in this film, it's a story about three guards in, a, in an art gallery. And it's a story about how they'd fallen in love with the three amazing pieces of art, these three masterpieces. But then disaster struck. The management at the gallery informed them that they'd sold off all of their art pieces and had sold them to a gallery in Denmark. It was a disaster. How were they going to live their lives without these precious pieces of artwork that they'd become so invested in? And so this is what they did. They came up with a plan to step in and to save these pieces of art. And so what they did is that they forged the pieces of art, they smuggled them into the museum, and then they made the switch. And 
Sorry, that was a bit of a spoiler alert. So that's the end of the story. <laughs> that's the end of the story. Um, and you get to the end of the, the story, uh, the end of the film, where they are in this little room where they've stored these pieces of artwork. And what they would do is that they would sit down and they would take it in turns, one after the other, to search and to study these pieces of artwork, one after the other. Now, if any of you have seen the film, you know that these three guards' relationship with the piece of art were quite often a bit unusual and a bit weird. Um, but on the good side, um, what it shows is that these three guards, they knew about their masterpieces passionately. They knew every line, every contour, they knew every perfect imperfection. They knew who created it. They knew the original meaning for it. They knew the purpose for why it was made. And continuing from that, what we also learn is that they, 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 they didn't see it as an inanimate object. They saw it as one that had animation, one they could have a relationship with that would grow and deepen over time. And Psalm 139 speaks about God's masterpiece. It talks about how God made his masterpiece with an original meaning, with an original purpose. He knows his masterpiece's strengths and weaknesses. He wants to develop a relationship, a living relationship with that masterpiece that will grow and develop over time. And you know what? That masterpiece is you. That masterpiece is you. And so my first point, which is going to come up on the screen, is God knows his masterpiece. God knows his masterpiece. Like these men searched their artwork knowing them, God searches his masterpiece knowing you. Verse 1 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. To search for something is to, to look or to seek something carefully or thoroughly. It speaks of a God like these men who studies you, who watches you, fascinated by you, his creation. And he knows what you're thinking as well. Verse 2, if you've got it in front of you, verse 2, you, God, perceive my thoughts from afar. He also knows if you're a morning lark, if you get up early or you're a night owl, whether you get up late. It says in verse 3, you discern my going out and my lying down. He also knows what your, your good habits are and your bad habits are, like picking your nose or something. You know, second part of verse 3, it says, you, God, are familiar with all my ways. He even knows what you're about to say, which for me, quite often, because I'm an external processor, I have not got the foggiest idea of what I'm about to say. And so I often trip up and, and make a fool of myself. But here's the thing, like God is incredible because he knows what I'm about to say even before I know what I'm about to say. You know, verse four says, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God knows you. And I think some of you will be coming here today maybe not feeling understood, not feeling known by others in whatever context that might be, or you come here with a sense of feeling lonely. 
And although God's created each one of us to have these needs met by other human beings, God has created you to have these needs met preeminently in him. And so one of the amazing things about Psalm 139, it describes a God who understands you when you sometimes don't feel understood. He, he knows what your real motives are, you know, your, your true motives. You know, sometimes you, your motives are not understood by others. He knows what your true motives are, which is an amazing thing and a kind thing that God would know that. You know, sometimes I quite often, one of my insecurities is that I quite often think other people write me off, something that I have to battle with. But this knowledge in Psalm 139 that I don't need to worry about that because God knows me, because there's a God who knows me and loves me completely, who knows my motives and knows what I'm like and has created me for being me. You know, that truth for me is mind-blowing and transformative, but for some of us here today, we might be asking the question, is it actually safe for a God to know all of this stuff about us? You know, we live in an age where um, people steal people's bank details and personal identity and all the rest of it. God knows all of that stuff, but he also knows a lot more about you than that. Is it safe for a God like that to know all of that stuff about you? And my simple answer is yes. And the reason for that is that he, he loves you and he wants to nurture you. His desire for you is to have a relationship with you. It's all in that context, so it is a safe place. Verse five, if you look down at it, it says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a hotel where there's like sheets and blankets and um, that you kind of like wiggle yourself into them and it's like all tight around you because it's tucked in around the side. Don't know if you've ever experienced that or it's just me. Has anyone experienced that? Yeah, good. Okay, it's not just me. Um, so this is what it's talking about here. It's like we're, we're getting tucked in. God is like hemming us around us with his sheets and blankets, you know, hemming us in. It's a, it's a secure place. It's a safe place. It's a, a place where we can be known and held by God. And there's this image of a right hand being laid upon us. I have a one-year-old who in the night when he's unsettled, I'll go and lay my hand upon him. And I just rest my hand upon him, and I do that because what it does, it helps him to get back to sleep, which is the main reason, but it, it comforts him, it, it settles him, it, it allows him to know that he's secure. And in a, in a similar way, you know, God holds us fast, and the way that it holds him fast and helps him to go fast asleep, God holds us fast. And then we jump to verses 17 and 18, and it speaks about God's knowledge of us being as vast as the sand in the whole world. Can you imagine just for a second a one litre jug in front of you? And if you poured sand in there, I don't know if it's exactly right, but there'd be roughly eight million granules of sand in a one litre jug. Now, I'm not clever enough to know what the word is for how much sand that would equal in the whole world, but it's quite a lot of sand. <laughs> And that's what it's describing here. It's an analogy saying that God's thoughts for you are as vast as the sand in the whole world. It's, a, it's vast. His, his thoughts are incredible for you beyond your comprehension. And so this is the gospel. 
This is the good news that the eternal, the infinite God, he steps in, doesn't he? Like those three guards. And he, and he saves us. You know, he steps in as an infant, born in a manger, vulnerable in all of his vulnerability to the world, becomes a refugee and escapes to Egypt. And then at a great cost to himself, he saves us by choosing the cross. And he shows us all that we're worth dying for because he chose the cross because he loves you. You're worth dying for. And even more so, we, we learn that the Holy Spirit, and we've experienced it, many of us, that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And what the Holy Spirit does is that he searches every nook and cranny of us like a, a cave in a cavern that's underground. You know, he, he lights a light in every single place, knowing every single part of us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's what God does for us. God knows you, and God knows you, his masterpiece. It's now been around two and a half years, I think, um, since lockdown one started. And I don't know if you remember um, at the start of lockdown one where everybody, or lots of people, I'd say, began their, um, their lockdown hobbies. So for some people, it was planting vegetables. For other people, it was learning a language or learning coding. For others, it was sourdough making and all of that. And for some people, it was knitting. Now, <laughs> I'm not a knitter. <laughs> you wouldn't want me to knit for you, but <laughs> um, I've tried it before. It went horribly wrong. But anyway, what I understand about knitting is that it requires a few key attributes. The first key attribute is that you have to have a vision of what you're supposed to make before you make it. Otherwise, it's going to not end well. Secondly, you need to have the skill involved in knitting so you can knit something together. Because if you don't have those, you're not able to knit. Third thing that you probably need to have a characteristic is that you need to be patient. Because when you start knitting something, there's quite a long period of time from starting knitting to actually getting the final product. And finally, the other attribute which most knitters have is that knitters are quite invested in their knitted goods, aren't they? So they, it, it comes out, doesn't it? It's like, oh, my amazing jumper. And they'll give it to you, and they'll want you to try it on. And they'll be asking about their knitted jumper. It's like, do you remember that knitted jumper I did for you six years ago? And you're like, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> um, but I do love knitted jumpers, by the way. Sorry, this is not a criticism. I do love knitted jumpers. Um, but the main point here is that those are the, the characteristics and the attributes that are required for a knitter. And what we learn in Psalm 139, which is my second point, which is God is a knitter. God is a knitter. In Psalm 139, verse 13, it says, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And then the description goes on in verses 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So these verses speak of a, a knitting God or God the knitter who had a vision for you before you were even formed. He decided to take the time. He had patience in creating and forming you, and he was invested in what you were going to be made as, and he's 
investing in what you will become as well. And I think this message of God being a knitter, a knitting God, is actually transformative for us. And that's especially when we live in a culture where all of us will compare ourselves so much to others, whether it's how good somebody's grades were, whether it's how um, successful they've been, um, how much they've achieved, how good looking they are, how tall they are, how short they are, um, what their bank balance looks like, um, whatever it is. And what that does within us is that it produces um, at times an, an envy or a jealousy or we just can't be happy when others do a good job. Um, we just can't be happy for them. You know, maybe some of us here today feel like you're called to something um, or you're made for something, but nobody else has quite cottoned onto it and seen it in the way that you do. But the truth that God has knitted you together, it blows up all of these narratives and it takes all of the pressure out because God didn't create you to be anything else but, but you. He created you to be unique. He created you with a unique purpose. He created you with a unique calling. And he created you um, with all of that, with all of the gifts and the abilities and um, the fragments, the, the things that need kind of chipping off. He's created you like that, with a unique calling to serve within the wider calling of the church and the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, it speaks of the body of Christ, doesn't it? Where there's like an eye, an ear, a mouth, a nose, your toes, and I'm not going to do the hokey-cokey or whatever. But anyway, it speaks of all of these different parts, and no part is indispensable, are they? They all serve a purpose um, within the body of Christ. And the body of Christ um, is there to, to give glory to God, but also to be Christ, to love and to serve the world, to be Jesus's hands and feet. And so we've got a unique calling, a unique, um, a unique identity that God's called us into, which we can live to the max. And so for that, we can thank him. We can worship him in the words of verse 14, which says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So praising God about who we are isn't an arrogant thing. It's not like, hey, you, good licking. <laughs> like, it's not that. It's like, I don't do that, by the way. That's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> but like, but you, it's, it's not an arrogant thing to praise God, because it wasn't really like our idea for being created. No, it was God's idea. So we can praise him and give him thanks for how he's made us to be. And we need to do that. That's, that's what we're called to as Christians. And so the fact that God took time to knit me together, you know, again, it's, it's transformative, isn't it? And for some of us, it might be the moment where the penny drops or the penny drops again, where we realize that God loves me and he likes me and he's made me for a purpose. It's a beautiful thing. God is a knitter. He's a knitting God. But the message doesn't just stop there. Because what it does, it leaves us with a choice. This psalm leaves us with a choice as well. And the choice is this. Do we want to be, um, do we want to know and do we want to be known by God? The beginning of the psalm in verse one starts with it saying, search me, God, or you have searched me. 
And in verse 23, at the end of this psalm, it, it says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. The psalmist is asking, you know, search me again. Search my mind, search my heart, search every part of me. And so the question that I want to ask you, which is my final point, is this. Will you ask God, will you search me or will you shy away? So will you search me or will you shy away? I know many of us will have been through an airport security, um, through airport security before where there's that kind of metal detector where we walk through and you put your baggage um, in that conveyor belt and they kind of scan your bag. And for those who've gone through that before, you'll know the deal. Um, you go through that, if it bleeps, the team will come over and check your bag or they'll check you and if it doesn't, you can go through. If you're particularly unlucky or you're up to no good, um, you might be doing something a bit illegal or you might be bringing something a bit illegal with you and so you might get arrested and so you'll get taken off and um, taken um, somewhere interesting. But, um, but, what, but what we find here is that, um, well, what I find is that there's a great security once you've got through that gate knowing that I can enjoy my holiday because there's nothing dangerous on the other side. I can enjoy my, my journey and my adventure on the other side of the search. And although this analogy is not perfect, when we come to God, God is inviting each one of us onto an amazing adventure of everlasting life and a relationship with him. But here's the thing, we all need to go through a gate or we need to keep going through the gate. And Jesus in John chapter 10, verses nine and 10 says this, I am the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so here is how it works. God invites us as we are with all of our baggage, with all of our stuff, with all the stuff that is not quite right in our lives. And can I just say, when we go through that metal detector um, or take our baggage through, it's going to go off, guys. And can I tell you why? It's because the Bible talks about the bad stuff in our lives, the stuff that it calls sin. And that's the stuff that blocks us from getting onto the other side of the gate and living in that life of freedom and relationship with God. This stuff might be the jealousy, it might be the, um, it, it might be the envy, it might be the unforgiveness, it might be so many different things in our lives. But what Jesus does, and this is the beautiful thing, is that he doesn't make us, he doesn't make us go through, he invites us through the gate, but he invites us to come through the gate, not to make us and be shown up. He doesn't show us up, but he does it so he can show us how good he is. And so all the baggage, all the bad stuff, you know, when the beeper goes off, he's not going to arrest you. He's not going to whack you over the head with a stick. He's not going to arrest you. What he's going to do is that he's, he's going to take these things off one at a time, remove all of these things off, and then we can go on this adventure with Jesus but the thing is, is that it's a choice, isn't it? It's, there's a choice for us to go through the gate in order that we can, can live or continue to live in this life of freedom, in life eternal and relationship with him. 
And so God wants us to pray the words in verse 24, which says, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so this is the invitation to everybody here today. Some of us here might not be a Christian and you're thinking, actually, this is a wonderful limiter. I want to dive into whatever this is. I want to dive into this adventure through and beyond the gate. And if that's you, it's, it is a big decision. It is a massive decision. But can I assure you, on the other side, when you go through Jesus, um, it's the best thing ever. And for us, many of us here today, it's, it's a choice, isn't it, for us to continue to go through that gate when we go on a trip, you know, we might go down a little alleyway or we might pick up a good here and there, which we shouldn't really pick up. And what we need to keep on doing is that we need to keep on coming back through the gate. We need to keep on coming back through Jesus so that we can pray like the psalmist, search me, Lord, and know me, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. And that's what we do when we go through Jesus. He, he lifts those things off us. He also lifts off the anxiety, the depressive feelings. He lifts off the burdens that we feel as well. This is what it promises. That's why we get God to search us as well, because he can lift those things off us in the search. So friends, as I come into London, as I end, and as the, as the band might want to come up, we've heard today that God knows you. He knows you. He knows his masterpiece. He knows you as masterpiece, and he's knitted you together. But the challenge for us and the question for us today is, are we going to engage in this or not? And will you say, will you say to God, Lord, search me. Search me, Lord. Or are you going to shy away? I pray that you'll decide to say, search me, Lord. So if I can just invite everybody to stand. And just, let's just be quiet just for a moment. And um, the music's not going to come on for a moment. But I just thought it'd be a really good moment just to be still. One of the spiritual disciplines is confession and being still before God. And so if you want to pray that prayer, search me, God. Um, just invite you just to put your, maybe close your eyes and put your hand on your heart. Like, you don't have to do it. Um, you don't have to engage with this if you don't want to say, search me, God. But if you want to engage and say, you know, search me, God, you know, I'd invite you just to put your hand on your, your chest of saying, you know, Lord, I want you to search every cavern of my soul, um, every thought in my head, everything about me. So we're just going to wait and be still before God in the quiet and just say, search me. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastric.org or follow us on Instagram at gastricchurch. Church.